So the mission, mission at this church, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, but the mission at this church, it's simple. Sin destroys who we love by bringing brokenness to the world. Jesus defeated sin and death with love, so we follow him. Our mission, we connect people to sincere faith in Jesus so that we bring eternal healing to ourselves, our loved ones, and everyone in our world. Somebody asked you, what do you do at First Baptist Church? Why do you go to First Baptist Church? That's what we're trying to do. Connect people to sincere faith in Jesus because that brings eternal healing to them individually, to their loved ones eventually, and hopefully, and to everyone else in the world that accepts Jesus as their Savior. We have three characteristics to bring that mission to life. Three characteristics that should be evident in each one of our lives. Your life, my life, everybody's life that wants to make that mission come to life. The characteristics that should, should come alive in us is to be sincere, to serve, and sacrifice. Sincere, service, and sacrifice. And we'll talk about service and sacrifice a little more in the coming weeks. But to make sincere come to life, there's three things that we need to do on a regular basis to be a sincere follower of Jesus, someone with sincere faith. Not just words, but truly sincere in our desire to follow Jesus. We should be transparent with discretion. Talk more about that next week. We should love with truth. Love with truth. We talked about that last week. And we should be caring without compromise. Those are the things that we should do in order to be sincere. And we want to be sincere so that people can be connected to a sincere faith in Jesus. Transparent with discretion. Love with truth. Caring without compromise. Last week we began talking about sincere faith. And we talked about how much Jesus dislikes hypocrisy. And since I could tell everyone loved the idea of having to consider their hypocrisy level, we're going to do that all over again this week. Diving into week two of sincere faith. In all seriousness, our sincerity level, how sincere we are about putting our confidence and trust into action when following Jesus. Our faith. How sincere our faith is, is critical, critical to accomplishing what God has for us to do in this church. It is critical for us to be effective in accomplishing what God wants us to do in this church. So this Sunday we are in Luke's Gospel. And this event that we're looking at today in Luke's Gospel, kind of interestingly, is Jesus' last recorded time to be in the synagogue, his last recorded time to teach, excuse me, in the synagogue, which is the Jewish worship building. We're going to start in verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. A woman has a severe curvature of her spine. Terrible thing. 
You may have seen this before. It reminds me, if you don't know her, but it reminds me of my great Aunt Avis. She had this condition very badly. Uh, many times nowadays, this condition is seen in someone that's been a lifelong smoker because the effects of that habit have a way of weakening the bones. But anyway, that was for free. This woman is severely disabled. And then interestingly, Jesus sees her. He notices her. He wants to care for her. He calls to her. See, sometimes God just does something miraculous. Sometimes God just does something miraculous. The woman didn't come to him. She didn't call out to him. It doesn't even say that she had faith, although it's obviously safe to assume that she did. But God, God does this thing, seemingly not for any reason or anything the woman has done. But sometimes God just does miraculous things. It's kind of like me being pastor, honestly. I mean, to me, it's a miraculous thing. I, I would have I never drawn this plan up for my life. I didn't draw this plan up for my life. I, I never saw this coming. I've told several of you this, um, talked to the search committee and, and, and the deacons, and, and I've told all of them this, that there was zero part of me, zero part of me, when I first was put up for the position of music and youth, zero part of me that thought, you know, one day Brother Clayton will leave, and then maybe I can be lead pastor. Now, you may say that's naive of me, or stupid, or ignorant, or whatever, foolish maybe. It never crossed my mind, not one time. Um, I thought, you know, Brother Clayton will preach forever, and I'll do this position until I drop, and then we'll just see how it goes. It never, it never ever crossed my mind, but I, but I, but I, I know what it's like to sit back and see things unfold, and so I know that some people probably think that over the last few months this was all planned, that the way things went down and the way things happened, it was planned by me or by others, and I can sincerely tell you that that is not the truth. It's not the truth. If, it, if, it, if you think that is the truth, I, I'm sorry, but it, I can sincerely say that that is not the truth. God just does things sometimes, but that's what we do. We try to explain what God does, and sometimes we misexplain, and sometimes we misinterpret, and sometimes we're just flat wrong when God does something. But Jesus seeks her. He seeks her out. He wants to care for her without compromise. Jesus wants to care for her without compromise. He wants to transparently share God with her. He wants to love her with truth. He wants to do what's best for her. He speaks her healed, and he confirms it with a touch, and instantly she is restored to full health. Bam! And what does she do? What does the woman do? The only response that there actually is to an encounter with God, she worships. She praises. She jumps for joy with her newly straightened back. And she shouts hallelujah with her freshly filled lungs now that she is straightened up. But there is a problem. There's a problem in this event. Obviously, Jesus knew there was a problem. He knew that this problem existed as he sought this woman. What is the problem? Some of you already know. 
It's the Sabbath, the Shabbat, the day to cease and desist of work, the day to remember who God is, what He's done, and what He's going to do, to remember the reliance we should and do have on God. For Israel, this is a day that was born from when God gave them manna during the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. If you don't know about this, you should read your Bible. There's a lot of interesting things in there. And he gave a double portion of manna on Friday so that they would have enough food on Saturday and would not have to work. They could rest from their work on Saturday, the Sabbath, the Shabbat. But Jesus cared for this lady without compromise. And this potential to compromise is twofold. There's two ways that we can compromise caring for someone. You care for people, but you do not compromise the truth of God. You care for people, but you do not compromise the truth of God. Period. Ever. End of discussion. Truth of God, never compromised, never an excuse to care for someone or to love someone. Secondly, though, and probably more often, what we have a tendency to do as just human beings. You care for people, but you never compromise caring for people because of any man-made tradition or rules. So two ways that you can compromise caring for somebody. You can compromise caring for somebody by doing something against what God would want you to do. Can't do that. But more easily to do is to not care for someone because you're worried about how it may look or if it may break a man-made tradition or a man-made ritual or a man-made rule. Things that we put on top of things that we think are God's law. We think they are God's truth but they may not necessarily be. So say care, care without compromise. Care without compromise. All right, I woke a few of you up. Verse 14, but, but, what an important word. Verse 14, but, Jesus had done this amazing thing to be celebrated, but, God has done this miracle, and then everybody should be on their faces worshiping him, but, verse 14, but the leader of the synagogue, indignant, what a word, <laughs> indignant, what is indignant, feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived, key, as unfair treatment, and why, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The leader of the synagogue is indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He had worked on the day of rest. Now notice how sincere, sarcastically, this guy is. He's indignant, right? He's indignant at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Still in verse 14, here we go. The leader of the synagogue, indignant at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd. He's indignant at Jesus, but he responds to his indignation by talking to the crowd. And here, the hypocrisy of this man's heart comes on full display. He has a problem with Jesus, but he turns to the crowd. He has a problem with Jesus, but he turns to the crowd. Come on, church. 
If we have a problem with one another, let's do it the right way. Let's go to the person we have a problem with and talk it out. Probably a miscommunication. Maybe you were wronged. Who knows what the story is? But the way Scripture tells us to deal with problems is to go to the person first and talk about it. This guy's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. He's mad at Jesus. He's aggravated at Jesus. He doesn't like what Jesus did, but he turns to the crowds and he talks to them. He doesn't say anything to Jesus. Back to verse 14. There are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. There's six days you should be working, people. He turns to the crowds. There's six days you should be working. So come get healed on those days. But this day, God's day, the day of rest, the Sabbath, the Shabbat. Can't do any work on this day. We've told you this. We've told you this rule exists. Don't you know not to come to the synagogue and be healed on the Sabbath? He blames the people for coming to be healed on the Sabbath. It's the clear tradition of the rabbis that you have to be healed on the other days of the week, but not on the Sabbath. But what's the problem with what he says to the crowd? What's the problem with what he said? The woman didn't come to be healed. It never says that. The woman just came to the synagogue because it was the Sabbath. Jesus sought her. Remember? Jesus sought her. She didn't come to the, to the synagogue and say, Hey, Jesus, look at me. Can you do something about this? She didn't say that. He went to her. He's double-fold. He's a hypocrite again. Not only is he not addressing the problem to the person that he has the problem with, but the problem he has with the problem isn't even a problem. It's not even their fault. They didn't do it. Verse 15. This is, when you, this is when you should be going, come on, Jesus, let him have it. Let him have it. Let him have it. Let this hypocrite have it. Right? But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, doesn't each of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd, all the people, was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. First, notice this in these verses. There's one leader in the synagogue. Right? The whole time this guy's been mentioned, it's one person. But what does Jesus say? Hypocrites. Did you catch that? He says, you hypocrites, with an S, as in plural, as in more than one. So the leader of the synagogue, and all you suckers that feel the same way that he does, that's my translation. He's being real clear here. You will untie your animal and make sure he is okay on the Sabbath but you won't help out a fellow human being? You'll untie your animal and take care of him, but you won't help a person? Now, I know, I know that it's easier sometimes to take care of your pet than it is to take care of a person. I get that. They love you back without any, anything, any, there's no problems. And, and I get that. 
And the problem here isn't that it's wrong to be taking care of animals, obviously. The problem is, is that they are taking better care of animals than they are people. I do have a problem with that. Jesus here is, is clearly displaying their hypocrisy. They're pretending to follow the law when in actuality they are blatantly breaking the law. See, they're pretending to follow the Sabbath law, but they're actually breaking the greatest law, the greatest commandment. All throughout Scripture, the greatest commandment is what? Love God with everything you got and love people the same way. Everything else in the law is an explanation or further continuing how to explain that. Everything else. That's the point. The point is to love God with everything you have and to love people the same way. So if what you're doing is not what's good for the person, no matter how you explain it, or whatever ritual or rule or tradition or whatever the rabbis had put on it throughout the years, if it is breaking that law, then it's not right. And you're being a hypocrite by saying that you are right for doing it. So they're breaking the greatest commandment in order to, in order to fulfill a man-made, lesser, not even real law that you can't heal on the Sabbath. See, Jesus was actually the one keeping God's law. Not man's law that had been added to God's law, but God's actual law. Jesus was keeping that. Care without compromise. Jesus was caring without compromise. He didn't compromise God's law to heal this woman. He didn't compromise God's law to heal this woman because there wasn't actually a prohibition against such an act in God's law on the Sabbath. Go look for it. The Sabbath is mentioned many times in the Old Testament, several times throughout Leviticus. Go look and go read and see. Read it. It's not in there. This was just a tradition that had been so long a tradition that the people took it as law. They just regarded it as law because the rabbis had said, and the rabbis had said for so long that they just assumed it was part of God's law, that you couldn't be healed on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't compromise caring for this lady, even though he would get publicly called out for it. See, it's a twofold thing. Don't compromise God's law, but don't be worried about man's law. Jesus didn't compromise caring for her, even though he was going to get publicly called out for it, even though to some he would be doing something wrong. He knew what was right, and he did what was right, regardless of what anyone thought about it. He cared without compromise. He cared without compromise. So, how do we do this? How do we care without compromise? What should we do to make sure that we are caring for each other and for people outside of each other, this church? How should we be caring for them without compromise? What are some rules, traditions that we have made up that might get in the way of God doing a mighty work. Things that we need to be aware of so we can seek to get rid of them and get busy caring for people without compromise. I don't know. 
What are they? What are some things we put in the way? What are some things we consider to be the rules of church? An easy one is dress. That's always the one everybody goes for. Dress. Right? Like, my wife picked this out. Am I a better preacher today because I wore this? Here's the thing. <laughs> now, now, John, you know what you're working with here, man. <laughs> you know what you're working with here. <laughs> Here's the thing. If wearing a three-piece suit every Sunday would get more people to know Jesus sincerely, then I'll do it. If wearing board shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops every Sunday will get more people to know Jesus sincerely, then I'll do that too. Because ain't neither one of them against God's law. Right? Stuff we've made up, stuff makes us feel good, not stuff God cares about. I don't have a problem getting dressed up. There's nothing wrong with getting dressed up. There's not. Right? Come to the Lord. Worship the Lord with your sincere heart. And for a lot of people, to not dress up is disrespectful to God. And I get that. But for some people, it's not. <laughs> so let's make sure we don't ever make it a thing. Right? I mean, I don't really think it is much of a thing anymore it used to be but i don't really see it being a thing anymore but it can be it could be it's an easy thing to go for what about status gotta have a certain status to come to this church hope not too hope not too i mean you got to have a certain status at your job certain level of education Certain socioeconomic status. Search your heart. Search our heart. Church, let's search our heart. We may say no, but do our actions show that? Do we make all people that walk through the doors of this church feel welcome? Everybody? No matter what? Or do we look down on people? Do we make them feel a little bit uncomfortable? A little bit, you know, there's probably another church around here you could go to that you'd fit in more. We may not say that, but our actions may scream it. I'm not saying they do. I'm just saying we should consider it. Individually, every single one of us should consider it. What are the things that we put? Because, see, we hear the Sabbath and we go, <laughs> not our thing. They were making the Sabbath a big deal. No big deal. We don't make that a big deal. So we think we can just read that story and just, it just doesn't apply to us. It's just not that big a deal our church that's not the case the point's not the sabbath the point is that anything you put in front of jesus anything you put as an obstacle as a barrier to someone meeting jesus god's against that plain and simple is it age i don't think that's a thing for us we're a pretty diverse group of age you know i've been talking to some people um you know, about our positions that are coming opening and stuff like that. And that's always one of the questions you'll get. What's your church like? What's your church like? That's what people ask. What's it like? Like, and they'll throw out some delineations of that, right? Like some specifications, some specifications of what they mean by what's your church like. And one of them is, what's the age like in your church? You know what I tell them? 
all different kinds. Our 70 plus outserve the rest of the church. But we got a lot of young families too. And we got some people in between. We've got a great youth group. That's what I tell them. I think that's the truth. I don't think that's a thing. I don't ever want it to be a thing. You know, a few years ago, we talked about think three. I've never let that get out of my head. Think three. Honor the previous generation. Work with the generation you have so that you can reach the generation that's to come. I think that's what we should do. I mean, without the generations before us, this church building wouldn't exist. The, the financial situation that we're in, which is a, little, a lot better than a lot of churches, wouldn't exist. We should honor that. We should be thankful for that. But we shouldn't let that keep us from doing what we need to do moving forward. We should be working with each other. Our generation doesn't mean boomers or millennials. Our generation is right now. All of us right now are our generation in this church. We're all here right now. But we've got to be working to meet the generation that is to come. Because I think if we asked ourselves this question, and we answered truthfully, we, we would all come to the same, hopefully, the same answer. Do you want this church to exist after you're gone? Yes or no? Because... You're going to be gone, and I'm going to be gone. If the Lord doesn't come back, eventually, every person in this room is not going to be here anymore. Do we want this church to exist afterwards? So age can't be a thing. I think we need all ages. We need to learn from the generation that knows, has been there, has seen the mistakes or made the mistakes and learned from them, can teach the current generation not to make them, and we need to be reaching the next generation so this church is here 5, 10, 15, 50, 100 years later. What about structure? Is structure a thing? Time of service? Don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm not saying I want to change the time of service. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying these things because I have some big thing that I'm trying to unroll. And, un and unveil to everyone, you know, next week we're meeting at 1030 and, we're not, you know, it's not like that. I just want us to think about it. What if, we, what if we did change the time of service? Would you be mad? What if changing the time of service could help us reach more single mothers because whatever? Would it be worth it then? Is it, is it okay for us to be slightly inconvenienced or slightly break? with our traditions to reach more people? What about order of service? Is there, a, is there a way right here that says how you should do an order of service? I've been searching. I hadn't found it yet. Again, I think we should have order. I do think that. I think we should have order. That's why it's called order of service. But I don't really care what the order is. If we came in for the next month, we said for the next month, we're going to start preaching and then sing for four weeks straight. Some of y'all's forearm hair started standing up when I said that. <laughs> right? 
How many songs are we supposed to sing? What if we end at 12.15? What if we start at 10.30? Right? What if, what if we only sing one song for four weeks in a row? What if we sing ten songs for four weeks in a row? What about the, the structure of church? The structure of church itself. Is that a thing? Is there, is there a ministry that you're holding on to? That if that ministry were to not be here, because for whatever reason we had prayed about it, and as a church we think, you know, we need to move that away so we can do this, because this is going to meet and greet and go get more people and bring them into a sincere relationship with Jesus. We're going to connect more people to a sincere relationship with Jesus by doing this. Some of you, when I said this ministry, thought of something. And I don't know what this ministry is. But I do know there's 2,500 people in this town, 20,000 people in this county, and there's about 150 here right now. Now, there's a whole bunch of churches around, so there's more people in church than that this morning. But the, the state, the Baptist Convention, the cooperative effort has told us that 50% of this county and 50% of our state is unreached, unchurched, know nothing. Not believe something else, believe nothing. Believe in nothing. 50%. So if we could do something to reach 3, 4, 5, 10% of that 50%. Maybe that's what God wants us to do. I don't know. What about facilities? I know that, <laughs> I know that made some of you mad to think about that. What, what if we knew for sure that this is totally off the cuff? I promise. I promise. What if we painted this whole thing black? And we knew for sure that by painting that whole wall black, knew for sure, straight from the Baptist Convention, paint your wall black on your stage, guaranteed to meet, to bring 10 people to Jesus. Or one person to Jesus. Or 1,000 people to Jesus. What would it take to justify that for you? Or is that against the rules? I'm not saying I want to paint the wall black. I'm saying if we were pretty sure it would help bring people to Jesus, I'd be all for it. I don't care what the color of the wall is. What is it that may be an obstacle to keeping someone from checking us out? What is it? What is it that may be an obstacle to keep people from coming here and finding Jesus? What is it that may keep someone from coming here and being really loved and cared for by the people of this church? Because we're good at that. We're good at loving and caring for people inside this church. And we should be. But not everybody's inside this church. And there's a whole lot of things that we can do to reach people outside of this church. What is that obstacle? And what happens if we knock those obstacles down? And what happens if we don't? What is that obstacle? And what happens if we knock that obstacle down so someone can meet Jesus? But more scarily, more scary, what makes me more scared than that 
then change is not changing for the sake of meeting somebody. What happens if we don't? What happens if we let our Sabbath, that was the big deal for the leader of this synagogue and the suckers that were with him, because Jesus said hypocrites, what is that for us? What is our Sabbath? That if we said we have to change this and it doesn't go against this, that you would get a death grip on it and say, no, 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 we can't change that. What is that? Because whatever that is, if we don't change it, it may mean somebody's eternity. And that's way more important than our feelings and preferences. Church, we have to be sincere. And one of the most important ways that we can be sincere and how we follow Jesus is to care for people without compromise. Don't break God's law, but be fast and furious with breaking man's law. That might keep somebody from knowing him. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a song. And hopefully, we will make a concerted effort to care for people in our life without compromise and to really dig down individually in ourselves and think about what that obstacle may be for you and for you and for you and for me and what is that thing that would be that thing that we may, may just need to change so that we can make a bigger impact for Jesus in this world. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. None of which we deserve. Thank you that you were bold and how you broke man's laws, the laws that were keeping people held down, keeping people from meeting you, the laws that were keeping people feeling defeated. Thank you that you were bold to break those laws, God. And thank you that you didn't break any of God's laws, that you never sinned so that you could be the perfect sacrifice for us for all those that have come before us and for all those that are going to come after us, God. You were the perfect sacrifice to connect us to God, to forgive our sin, to defeat death, to give us eternal life, which is knowing you. That's what eternal life is, to truly know you now and forever, to be connected to you for real. Thank you. Thank you for that, God. Lord, I pray that it, we finish our service today with this song, that we would sing this song with a heart of gratitude for you, what you've done, what you're wanting to do, and what you're going to do. That we would just be thankful that you want to use us to do any of it. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We worship you this morning, God. Just pray that you dig into our hearts. We break down all the obstacles that are keeping us from meeting who you have for us to meet in our lives, God. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.